0: Good evening. Welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel, the first Wednesday chapel of the 2007 winter trimester. Congratulate the person next to you for being in the place they should be. Uh, need to make a couple of, uh, well, an announcement, an explanation first. Associated Student Government is sponsoring a gift drive. I guess that's, for lack of a better description. So out on the Christmas tree in the lobby there are cards, and they and we want to be able to buy gifts for boys and girls for the um, members of the NBC family. So if you want to participate in that, um, right here's the tree and the and the envelopes are there. This is the first of the Advent services that we'll hold. Uh, First Advent Sunday is December 2nd, so we're going to be ahead of the curve. We're going to be ahead of the curve. I want to explain a couple of things about Advent uh, just as a reminder or perhaps as an introduction. It is a centuries-old practice in which the church remembers the first coming of Christ but also anticipates His coming again. And so the, the color of the tablecloth matters, It's a royal blue because the king has come and the king is coming again. The color of the candles matter, the purple or these uh, light purple colors again. Pardon me? Fuchsia? Okay, fuchsia will work. I like light purple, all right. These are also also reminiscent of his royalty. The pink candle isn't because we ran out of purple. It's because we're going to celebrate for our third Advent service the joy that came when he came and the joy that we feel because we know he's coming again. And then the candle in the middle, the white candle, is the Christ candle. We'll not light that one because you'll be gone by the time that that Christmas comes around. But all the rest of these will be a part of our worship. In addition to the candles, there are scriptures. Scriptures. Old Testament reading, a psalm reading, a gospel reading, and a New Testament reading. And we will use them in a variety of ways for part of our worship. So I need for you to grab the folder that was on the chair. And we're going to begin with We're going to begin with this reading from Romans 13:11 through 14. And I think just let me say this one more time. Read it with the notion, not that Christmas is coming, the goose is getting fat, please put a penny in the old man's hat. That's not what we're talking about here. But read it with the, the notion in mind that Christ has come, and Christ will come again. So I want us to read this together aloud. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So Advent is a time of contemplation and anticipation. We remember the time that he came first and we look forward to the time that he'll come again. Amen? And so we're going to light this first candle to help remind us that because he came, and because he's coming, he wants us to live for him. So that the candle, will, that will be our symbol throughout. We recognize your presence, Jesus, and we thank you for it. We confess your coming, and your coming again. We give you praise for it. Accept our concerns accept our petitions for our friends for our family accept that as our act of worship we trust you with those whom we love and now help us to hear your word and help us to respond in a way that says we believe you've come and that you're coming again Jesus' name, Amen. May we see,
1: Amen. So be Lord. I invite you to turn with me tonight to the book of Isaiah, chapter two. And I'd like to read the first uh, five verses. The word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem Now it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it and many peoples will come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths for the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many people's and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and neither again will they learn war. Come house of Jacob and let us walk in the light of the Lord. I hope this passage speaks to you as it has spoken to me. When Israel desired a king to be like other nations. They did not envision a future that would lead to centuries of bloodshed and war. Nothing faintly resembling justice and righteousness has been true of them. The lesson which never seemed to have reached their collective consciousness is that Zion's ultimate purpose has nothing to do with either Israel or Judah's nationalistic dreams. In chapter 1 of Isaiah, verses 28 through 31, we see a purging that took place where God cleansed them up, so to speak. Zion reflects neither the ambitions of Joshua nor those of David. In our text tonight, the prophet Isaiah saw a word from the Lord concerning Jerusalem and Judah. In fact, the, it opens up there in verse 1, the word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah. He saw a word. He had a vision. Tonight I want to call this a glorious vision. It is a vision of a city as he said, built on a mountain, built, he calls it, Zion. The dwelling place of God, where God lives, where God dwells. The prophet says this, it is prophetic, it's messianic. It is, I believe, the church. It is the advent of Christ, he sees, who dwells in his church. It is a glorious vision. It pertains to us. It is our time. We live in that vision that Isaiah saw from the Lord. It is a messianic word, a word that pertains to the Christian era. It is a word for the church about the church. It is a word for today. Isaiah had a different view of Zion's destiny. All the prophets and poets of Israel knew that the important thing about Zion is her her reputation as the dwelling place of God. Allow me tonight to lift three aspects of this glorious vision of the city to our listening hearts tonight. The first is the attraction of the city. The attraction of the city. What makes the city attractive is that it will be redeemed. The people of God. God calls a people to himself and will redeem his people. The mountain of the Lord's house, that is Zion, will be elevated and exalted. We see that there in verse 2. Now it will come about that in the last days, the messianic age, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established and the chief of the mountains and will be raised above all the hills on the highest point of the city. In ancient Near East the temples were usually built on the highest points of the city whether it was a pagan deity or even Jehovah God the temple honoring his name is built on the highest point of the city of course, tonight, as we look at this passage, the prophet is using metaphorical language, poetic language, to describe not a literal city or temple, but the people of God. God doesn't dwell in houses made with hands and stones and water. He dwells in his people. He's forming a people. It is attractive because the city, the people of God, will realize what Yahweh's purpose has, has always been throughout Israel's revealed tradition. We go back as far as Abraham and God, when God called him, he was called to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, Genesis 12:3. That will be realized in this new city that God is building, the new people of God the word the blessings of god in fact it is being spread it is being shared with all the nations of the earth jews and gentiles alike israel was called to be a kingdom of priests exodus 19:5 and 6 but they had not succeeded in doing this in this vision god moves to take matters then into his own hands His people will be his dwelling place. They will be his priests. He will do what is necessary to establish the city and judge the nations. He will remove all the elements from the population that do not fit his mode of operation. The city is attractive because the city is centered in Yahweh himself. God dwells there. The city is the place where he lives, his attraction is so great, they flow from uphill to the summit of the mountain to learn from the God of Jacob, lessons to which Israel and Judah turn deaf ears. I want you to see that there with me again. He says, and many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that He may teach us concerning His ways. It will be attractive and people will come from everywhere, from every tribe, from every nation, from every tongue because God is there. The city. I say to you tonight that the church is attractive not because of its leaders, its programs, its beautiful buildings. It is attractive tonight because of the presence of its wonderful Lord and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory glory of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth for of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace the city is beautiful because of the presence of its Lord he is the image of the invisible God or someone says, the visible image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, The church, it dwells, he embodies his church, he lives in his church. But not only is the city attractive, but it is filled with activities. Notice the activities in the city. There will be a pilgrimage of all peoples to the holy mountain. There will be a call to worship that expresses the reasons for coming. Namely, that God would teach them His ways, verse 3. He would instruct them in Torah, in law, in obedience, in walking with Him. The activities there will be, there we will learn His ways and go forth with His word. The missionary activities are inescapable. God is a missionary God. We hear him and then we take his word and out we go. Amen. Praise the Lord. Tonight Zion is portrayed as a temple city, the greatest and the most popular pilgrimage city in the whole world. It holds this distinction because it is the place where Yahweh dwells. He will be sought out as the teacher of individuals, and as the judge who brings peace and order among the nations. The activities will include God as judge, as we see in our passage here tonight. He will settle disputes between nations. They will turn their instruments of war into farming tools, inaugurating a permanent sign of peace. not only among nations but more directly in the lives of individuals when Christ comes in we make war no more amen praise God so in light of the activities that flow from the glorious vision of God's reign there is a call to respond to this good news and so in this passage in verse 5 there is not only the 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 attraction of the city or the activities within it but there is an appeal that comes forth from those who participate in the city, in God's kingdom. Verse 5 says, Come come house of Jacob and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Come Come, Church of the Living God, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This grand and glorious vision is for us today. The last days began when God in Christ came and the announcement of good news echoed from the Judean hills. The sign was a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth. The sign was the middle cross on a hill called Montcalvary. The sign was the empty tomb. The sign was the sound of mighty rushing wind in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. The appeal is truly a call to worship in the presence of Christ. Come and let us walk in the light. But you may wonder, in an era of military conflict and nationalism and international mistrust, simply to write off such an announcement as Isaiah makes in this vision, as unrealistic or as applying only to an era, only beyond history, not within it, is probably unrealistic to expect peace among nations in a time when there are conflicts all over the world. Should we then just to such harsh realities that there are no signs of peace anywhere, and yet the prophet has a vision where nations will put their weapons to better use, making them farming tools. But this text tonight, like so much of the Bible, confronts our resignation with the assurance that God will one day reign and that he will reign in peace. Tonight, even as we speak, leaders of several of the Middle East countries are gathered around close by Washington tonight, trying to get the peace talks back on track between Israel and the Palestinians. I am here to tell you tonight that this passage brings home to all who hear it the power of expectation. And it kindles hope. Whether those who are at peace tables tonight will ever come to a solution for the Middle East, the God who has given Isaiah this vision will fulfill his promise. This passage is such clear and evocative poetry. uh, It's content so significant perhaps it should simply speak for itself as we read it tonight. It is indeed a glorious vision of the redeemed people of God. It is attractive, active, and its appeal is a call to worship. The angels sang this glorious vision, echoing over the Judean hills, a melody so pure and so sweet, peace on earth and goodwill. You may say such a vision may best be read around Memorial Day or Veterans Day or maybe standing before the Vietnam Memorial you might read such a passage that echoes the hope for peace where weapons will be placed down and turn into agricultural tools. But may I say to you tonight the best place to read this is not on Memorial Day or Veterans Day. But on Christmas Day, it will be an attractive city filled with the activities where God himself will be the tutor and teacher of Torah. And the appeal goes out to you and I tonight. Let's walk in the light. Lord, from me we have one blessing after another. Grace upon grace, thank you so much for your infinite love, for your mercy that is renewed every day. Today was no exception. Tomorrow we expect. Thank you, may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God, the sweet communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now rest, rule, and abide with us now and forevermore. And let all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.